<clears throat> Dear Father God, thank you for opening the door for this seminar. Thank you for bringing these ladies here. Please fill us with your Holy Spirit and be our speaker here today. I pray that each of us ladies here would hear exactly what we need from you and that you would open our minds and hearts to receive your wisdom. Show each of us how to apply it to our lives. Please encourage us and strengthen us to seek your wisdom each day so that our relationships will honor you and bring you glory. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so um, my, my um, talk today is going to be focusing on marriage, what God, God's perspective, what he designed marriage to be, um, the covenants and vows in marriage. So my talk is a little more technical rather than getting into nitty-gritty of problems and situations. So we'll be digging into scripture um, looking at what he designed it to be. Um, also, what vows are about. Why does he have us make vows in our marriages? What do vows mean to God? Um, and also, we're going to look at um, how marriage is a metaphor that God uses um, as a picture of his relationship with us, Israel and the church, those who belong to him. So um, I'm going to start with uh, Genesis we're going to start with the first marriage, Adam and Eve. So if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. If you want, I'll be reading the scriptures out loud. You can write them down. Um, if you guys picked up some of the flyers back there, um, there's scripture references there also that you can maybe jot down. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 22 to 24. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. The word one used in Genesis 2.24 is the Hebrew word ekad. Ekad is the same word used in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Echad is described in Strong's Concordance as stressing unity, oneness, but recognizing diversity within the oneness. In other words, two separate and distinct individuals bringing who they are into the union and becoming one in purpose. We know from in Deuteronomy 6.4 that that's describing God. It's describing the Holy, the, the Trinity. We've got God the Father, we have Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they are three persons in one who have the same purpose. So we have that same picture of the flesh becoming one in the marriage union, and you know the, the two people, and God the Trinity. Um, Jesus himself, he quoted from Genesis 2, 24, when he was being tested by the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 19, beginning with verses 3 through 8. It reads, Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, God, what God has joined together, let no one separate. 
Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I was struck by the fact that the Pharisees are saying that Moses commanded that a wife, you know, that a husband give his wife a certificate of divorce. And they're saying, no, Moses permitted it. He corrected their statement. He permitted it not because God wants it that way, but because their hearts were hard. They were seeking a way out. Uh, Paul confirmed in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. So we hear clearly here that God is saying he desires the union to stay together, that it not be dissolved. Let no one separate what God has joined. Um, some of you here may have been divorced already. Um, you're, you know, maybe several times. I, I want everyone here to understand that God is full of mercy and grace. He forgives. What's in the past stays in the past. If you've given your life to Christ and you've asked for forgiveness, you've received that forgiveness. I don't want anyone to dwell in that guilt place. That's not the place. We need to start from today forward. Today's a brand new day. So I, I don't want anyone here to feel condemned. That's not the purpose here. The purpose is to find out what God has to say so that we can seek his ways from this day forward. Okay? Amen. So he forgives our sins, right? Okay. Um, becoming one flesh isn't just the spiritual union. Becoming one flesh also describes the um, physical bond that's created when a marriage is consummated. You become a part of each other through that physical union. Our husbands become a part of our own bodies. They're part of our own flesh. When we sin against them, we're sinning against God first, and then we're sinning against our own bodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 to 20 says, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, Paul says, The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. So our physical bodies belong to us, but they belong to our spouse. There's a dual ownership. But for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, he owns our bodies. He's been, we've been bought with a price, so we belong to him. So his desire is that we honor him, not just spiritually, but with our bodies too. So he wants that purity, he wants us to remain pure for him. That's how we worship him. That's our, our, our honor to him. 
from God's point of view, when you look at it this way, when you're severing a relationship, it's like tearing your flesh apart. There's, you know, like your arm being pulled apart or your leg being pulled apart or your heart being teared out. You know, we've got, um, I know a lot of you probably have experienced that agony with divorce or separation or even death. People that have lost their, you know, husbands, women here that have lost their husbands that say, I've heard them say they they ache, they feel like half of them is gone. They're, there's, They feel that emptiness there. And for them, God wants them to turn to Jesus. You know, look to him. He's our husband. He's, for those of us who have Christ, he's our husband. He's the one we want to look to. Our heart should be for him first. Um, not only do we experience that agony, but Jesus himself experienced that agony on the cross. He was going through the physical pain of being hung, nails through his wrists, nails through his feet, just hanging there and, and his body just caving in from the weight. But it wasn't just the agony, the physical pain that he was describing there on the cross, but he also felt the agony when God himself had to look away because he was bearing our sin on the cross. So God turned away and he felt that emptiness God wasn't there, and he cried out. We have in Mark uh, fifteen thirty four, um, and at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, "Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani," which means, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" He died on that cross for our sake. He wasn't thinking of himself; he was thinking of us. He does for us and for his Father. His father wanted him to do the same, to reconcile us to him. When you look at Jesus on the cross, I think, is there any question at all that God desires us to be reconciled? Not just to him, but in our relationships with each other here. That's his first and foremost desire, is reconciliation. And to do that, forgiveness is a must. That's what he did on the cross, was to forgive us. So... As we move forward from that, we we realize now that God desires that union as one. He sees it as one. He sees two people becoming one unit. Not two people anymore, but this is now a marriage unit. And remember that God loves each person of that marriage the same. He shows no favoritism the same. So he gave us vows. He gave us vows that we can make to each other so that we can commit to each other. That commitment is one of the main reasons for the vows so that we wouldn't wander away. So I was looking at Webster's. What does a vow, what, let's define a vow. What is it? Number one, it's a solemn promise or pledge, especially one made to God or a God, dedicating oneself to an act of service or way of life. Number two, a promise of love and fidelity between a marriage and marriage vows. Covenant, what does a covenant mean? Number one, it is a binding and solemn agreement by two or more persons, parties, etc., to do or keep from doing a specified thing, a compact. I was looking at these scriptures and I'm, I was convicted because what we speak, what I speak, it's out there. The Lord hears it. What I say, it should mean what I say. I should say yes means yes when I say no it should mean no my meaningless words I I'm going to answer for so 
Our vows are important to the Lord. We need to keep our vows. His word is important. He keeps his word to us. Um, in our marriages, you know, I, well, as I was doing that, I was thinking about how in our society today, it's, we're, it's easy to get out of a contract. You know, um, we sign contracts, either business or financial agreements that we make. And um, if for any reason we want to get out of those contracts, we go hire a lawyer and they draw up paperwork to make it a legal thing to get out of the contract we're in, which is the same thing that divorce is. You've made a contract with your spouse that you're going to be committed to them till death do you part. And then if down the road you feel unhappy for whatever reason, you can say, and, and irreconcilable differences and, you know, cross that off and, you know, sign that piece of paper and, and separate and divorce. Or, you know, um, it isn't just unhappy. Some of us, you know, decide, you know, we were in love when we got married and year or two, three years down the road, you look at that person in bed and you go, who are you? Who did I marry? It's a total stranger to me here, you know. This isn't what I signed up for. So we start looking for a way out. How do I get out of this? You know, what, what happened here? And I, I don't want to minimize any, you know, there's marriages that, that have serious problems that go through a lot of pain and agony. And I'm, you know, I'm not trying to minimize that in, in any way. Some of you might be going through something right now. And so it's, my purpose isn't to minimize that. But for the sake of time, we're just going to kind of skip over these things and, and, uh, Realize Lord, that the Lord is there for you. Seek Him. Seek Him in your in your um, problems right now. Put Him first. Ask Ask Him. Yes. So, um, let's look at Deuteronomy. Let's look at vows. What does God say? Let's look at Deuteronomy twenty three verses twenty one to twenty three. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it, for the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty. Whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do, because you made your vow freely to the Lord your God with your own mouth. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 through 6, it's repeating it. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin, and do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you know, don't let your mouth lead you into sin. How many times have I said things I shouldn't say to my husband, to other people? I I was led into sin. How many times have I said something, made a promise to someone, and didn't follow through? Again, I was sinning. I was actually bearing a false witness. I was lying to that person because I didn't follow through with what I promised. Oh, I, I just the seriousness, seriousness of our spoken word is—it's is, serious. <laughs> I don't know what else to put that, but it's serious. What we say is what we mean. It should be what we mean. Um, If you look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, it says, You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And in Proverbs 12, 17, An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. So when I don't keep my promises, I'm lying. 
I'm sinning against God in a lie there. So when we take our vows, where they're being spoken before God and other witnesses, we stand at the altar and we promise our husbands to be with them till death do us part. We're telling everyone that's there, we're, we're committing our lives to them. We're committing our lives to that person. Why does God demand those vows? Well, first of all, he keeps his promises. He's the one. He cannot lie. He does not change. What he says, he keeps. He keeps those with us. We should do the same and honor him with our vows and keep those vows. In Numbers twenty-three nineteen, God it says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? 1 Samuel 15, 29. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. And in Mark 13, 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away, says the Lord. So, as human beings, because we're fallen... We're prone, we're prone to wander. We get unhappy. We're, things go wrong. And we're prone to look at the grass is greener on the other side. So a vow is designed to stop us from doing that to, so that we don't wander. We need that commitment in a relationship in order to develop that intimacy. When, you know, you remember the day when people used to say, you know, this is, before people started living together in their marriages. And, and that's one of the things that, that my husband and I did. We lived together before we got married, which created such chaos for me for a while, emotionally and in and, and, and many ways. Created chaos in our marriage for the first 20 years, in my heart anyway. I'll go into that in a little bit. But there was a time when people, the society, society itself was um, more godly. You know, even even the people that didn't believe in God, they they knew that you know you should be married first before you get married and before you you know go to you know bed with somebody. Here, I had built a life with someone that I wasn't committed to. You know, you want to you want me, you you need to be committed to me. That's what it used to be. I mean, there used to be that saying, you know, um, why should he buy the cow if he gets the milk for free? Does anybody remember that? There's you know, yeah. So. Um, in our society today, that there's no shame for that anymore. There's just no shame. Uh, for me, growing up Catholic, I knew that was wrong. I, uh, you know, what am I doing? What was I doing? I knew that was wrong, and yet here I was. What it, thinking back on that, what it did for me was it created a premature bond that shouldn't have been there. It took away my choice. Because once I had built a, a life with, with my husband, Dennis, without marriage, I felt, well, I have to marry now. This is what I should do. And that's true. That is what we should do. But my choice, what God wanted me to do, is to have that choice to made freely without that sin hanging in the background. So that I can say, yes, this is the man I want to marry. This is the man I'm going to commit to. Not that I have to marry you now. This is We're together, and this is it. You know, I... I I've, truly believe that we would have been married anyway, but again, I would have made that choice freely. That's God. He wants us to make our choices freely without sin being caught up in it. So the vows are there to 
make sure that you are both a committed person in the relationship. That's what gives the, the relationship unity. That's what gives a relationship the opportunity for complete intimacy. You can share your fears, your concerns, your love. Whatever's going on, you should be able to share with each other. You're one. Without fear of losing that person. That's what the commitment's for. Without fear of that person walking away. You can be yourself. What else? You know, this is how we relate to the Lord our God. We know that he doesn't leave us. We can go to him with our failures, go to him with our sins, and he's faithful to forgive us. He forgives us, and we can come to him freely. He knows who we are. He knows that we're fallen, and yet he desires that relationship. So that same relationship we have with him, he desires that union with our spouses. He wants that honesty. I, I listen to um, K-Wave a lot while I'm working, you know, on, online, and... Uh, I don't remember the guy's name, and he was on uh, Focus on the Family. He was being interviewed. And um, I think he might have written a book on marriage, and forgive me, I don't know his name. Um, But, you know, in the interview with Dr. Dobson, he was saying that um, he went to a conference. It was a men's conference. And in this men's conference, one of the speakers said, okay, guys, you know that there's things we don't tell our wives, right? And he was sitting there, and he was a little convicted by that and saying, you know, Is that the way it should be? Are there things that I should be keeping from my wife? So he went home and talked about it with his wife. He said, you know, this is what I heard. What do you think about this? And she looked straight at him and said, you're one with me, not them. So, yes, you know, you you share everything with your wife. And he totally agreed. He said, you're right. I'm one with you. The idea that, you know, I can tell you ladies something I wouldn't tell my husband. Or, no, I'm one with him. He's mine. I belong to him. He belongs to me. So it's that commitment that creates that bond and, and that, the trust. If you have that fear hanging over you that, you know, well, if I tell him this, he's going to divorce me. Or if, I, if he knows that I'm not good at this. Or, you know, if I burn the toast, you know, or if I, you know, he's going to leave. There's no security there. So the vows were created for security. That's why Jesus and God vowed to us that he will never leave us, those who belong to him. It's that security. We have that assurance with him. So anyway, let's move on here. Let's go. um, So what about those of us who, um, who got married, either because we thought we had to or we made our vows rashly? You know, we... Met a guy and oh, swoon, pitter patter, pitter patter every time we see him. And two months down the road, he says, "Will you marry me?" And yes, you know. And and so you're just excited about that. And and uh, you find out later, oops, you know, who did I marry? I don't know this guy. You know, he's he's not the guy you thought he was, or he doesn't. You know, he he said he believed in Jesus. Suddenly he doesn't. You know, whatever the reason, you think, well, I made this vow rashly. My Marriage is a mistake. I just made a mistake. I should be able to leave. So what does the Lord say about a rash, rash vow? Do we keep them? We find out the answer in Judges, um, chapter 11, verses 29 to 31. Then the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, 
and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph, excuse me, when I return in triumph, um, I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Moving forward to verses 34 and 37, when Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of timbrels? She was an only child, except for her he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh, my daughter, you have brought me down, and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised, now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends, because I will never marry. Both Jephthah, I'm amazed at this when I read this, both Jephthah and his daughter didn't question the fact that he had to keep his vow. There was not an excuse said, nothing. There wasn't a way to think, well, what, 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 you know, what do I do? How do I get out of this? Jephthah knew that he made his vow freely to the Lord. The Lord didn't ask him to make that vow. It was Jephthah who, did, who made it. That's a tough one for me. <laughs> really tough one. Um, now, as I was studying this, I found that there are instances in Scripture where the Lord um, dismisses a vow that a woman has made. Never a man, but a woman. And these verses, I'm not going to go into the but they're found in Numbers chapter 30. But what's described there is in, in that culture, the woman lived under her father's household, in her house, and her father was her protection. After she married, it was her husband that was her protection. So there was, if a woman spoke a vow and she was unmarried and she was in her father's household and he heard her speak that vow and he's thinking, no, 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 she's ruining her, her life here. Um, he say, no, daughter, um, you are not going to fulfill this vow. The Lord releases her from that. The father is objecting. He's forbidding her. He releases her. Same is true if a woman was married and her husband heard her make a vow and he disagreed. He thought, no, this is not a vow you could keep or that you should make. He would forbid her. She Again, the Lord released her from that vow. But a woman who was divorced or a woman who was widow, her vow must be fulfilled before the Lord. She's under the Lord's protection at that point. She makes a vow. She's not released she makes it to the Lord. You guys can look at Numbers chapter 30 and, and learn more about that. Again, that was about protection. That was about protection. Um, so we see here the vows are uh, there to promote trust. They're to give us assurance in our relationships, both our relationships in our, our, with friends and, and our spouses, but with the Lord. It gives us assurance. He made his vow to us that all those who are in Christ Jesus will not be condemned. They'll be saved. They will have eternal life. That's a vow he made to us, a promise he made. So we have that assurance with Jesus Christ. Um, 
we're prone to wander when we look at, um, in our society, when we look at others. We look, you know, um, we can find in Zechariah verses 10 to 2 how what the world does. The world deceives us. It says, the, the idols speak deceitfully. Diviners see visions that lie. They tell dreams that are false. They give comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wander like sheep, oppressed for lack of a shepherd. So without God, without those vows, without, you know, that commitment that we have, we prone, we're prone to wander. So that's the purpose of, of God giving us those vows, to keep us protected. One of the things that I was thinking about as I was doing this is what, what do I want you ladies to come away with? Um, you know, what's the most important thing I want you ladies to know is that Jesus is the one who fulfills you completely, not your husband. Jesus is the one. Your husband is a sinner. You're a sinner. We all here are sinners. He cannot be completely what Jesus Christ is. He cannot, and we shouldn't ask him to be. He'll fail. We fail if that's what our husbands are asking us to be. So what I want you to come away with is Jesus is the one you need to look to. He's our perfect husband. Okay? So that was what on my heart. And, the, and Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. That's the first commandment. And love each other. Love each other as he loved us. That's the second command. And both those commandments fulfill the entire law. When we do these things, when we're loving our husbands, when we're loving each other, when we're loving God first, we're fulfilling that vow. We're fulfilling that with him. My mother and father, being Italian, they used to bicker and argue and bicker and argue all the time. There was fighting all the time. They stayed together. They were married 54 years before my dad passed away. Uh, but they fought all the time. And, and, you know, I remember one time my parents were, were getting in the car, and I'm sitting in the back seat. And I had two older brothers, and they were already gone. And I'm, I'm in the back seat, and they're arguing and, and you know, fighting with each other, and my, my mother said, I'm going to leave you, and my father says, I'm going to leave you, and I start crying, you know, and, and, you know, as I'm crying, they both stop what they're doing, I see, I can still picture their heads turning around and looking at me and saying, why are you crying, and I'm thinking, you guys are going to get a divorce, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm upset, and they looked at each other and said, no, we're not going to get a divorce, you know, what, what made you think that, it was just, you just said to each other, you know, you're going to leave, you know. They were committed to each other. They fought. It was not, that wasn't a good example of them fighting. But, but the example that they gave me is that they worked it through. They stayed together. My mother used to say, I stay with my husband because I love the Lord. She was honoring him first. So, anyway, God rest their souls. I miss them so much, you know, and just even their bickering. <laughs> um, Anyway, so we find out here that the vows are intended to promote trust and security with each other. So now I wanted to just um, kind of skip forward here, and let's look at the scriptures that point to how God views our relationship, how he uses the marriage as a metaphor of his relationship with us and what we're going to experience with him when we're with him eternally. 
um, these scriptures just really touch my heart because it shows me God's heart. That's what I want you to, to understand, God's heart today and how much he loves us. Let's look at Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 to 20. This is describing um, the millennial time, describing his relationship with Israel. It says, but then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. O Israel, I will wipe the many names of Baal from your lips and you will never mention them again. On that day, I will make a covenant with all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground so they will not harm you. I will remove all weapons of war from the land, all swords and bows, so you can live unafraid in peace and safety. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know me as the Lord. That's God's heart. I just I think about the love and compassion, the unfailing love that he has. That's his desire, how he wants to just protect us and wrap us up in his arms. I'm in awe. I'm in awe of God's heart for us. Another glimpse of, of God's heart is in Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 when he was praying for all of us, first his disciples, that his apostles there, but all of us. Verse 9 through 11, Jesus says, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those who ha- you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Again, he's asking for that same unity. He wants us to be one with him and the Father. We continue on in verse 20 to 24. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I are, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Does everybody get that? (laughs) Here's Jesus, the creator of the universe, the creator of the world, our creator, asking God to make us one with him to share in his inheritance, to have everything that he has. That's the heart of a husband. That's the heart of a husband loves his wife, who's willing to die for her, to protect her, and to give her eternity, to give her eternal life. 
I read those words and I wonder, how can anybody alive not want to just run to Jesus Christ and, and take refuge in him? You know, it's, it's, it's his heart. He wants us to know that. He wants us to know that he loves us. And that's why he died on the cross for us. Revelation 21, 2, verse 2, and also verse 9. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And at verse 9, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. That's all of us. That's the church. That's Israel. That's those, those who believe in him, who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We are his wife. We're the bride of Christ. So that's what I want you to take away today. Turn to Jesus. He's the one. He's the one who can fulfill every need. For those of you who have never been married and you're thinking of getting married, Christ first. Christ first. That way... He's your bond. He's the one that keeps you loving your husband. I went through times, many years, where I just felt like love was completely gone. I didn't know how else to grab, get the love back. And the Lord kept saying, get on your knees and pray. And I would say, Lord, I need, I need your love for, for my husband. I need, love me first, and that will come. Love me first. And, and he showed me that that's the way to do it. Love Christ we went to the Moore Conference years ago that Anne Graham Lotz was giving. And it struck me. What, she shared the same thing. She was suffering from a hard heart toward her husband. And um, she said that the Lord said, more of me. You need Jesus. You need more of Jesus. So in, in her conference was called Moore Conference. More of Jesus. And sure enough, more of Jesus gives you the relationship you, you need for the ones you love. You're loving Christ. He, he gives you that love. It's through him. It's his love. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit that we get. The love for others, for our husbands, and, and for everyone, everyone in our community. So I pray that that's what you guys will grasp today, that you'll have that Jesus in your hearts, more of Jesus so God knows there are no perfect marriages. God knows that, that we're not perfect. What he desires is commitment. Commitment to him, commitment to each other. That's what brings him the, the glory. So I pray that each one of you today will honor the Lord with your hearts, minds, bodies, and soul. Thank you. <laughs>